to MindWell, hosted by Michelle Jones. We are all about connecting with wellness professionals and individuals with unique perspectives about developing wholeness and well-being. This podcast is designed to help you reconnect to your core self and find the resiliency, capability, and strength you already have within. MindWell is sponsored by IntegrateTrauma.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of MindWell. On this podcast, we interview people who have remarkable perspectives on the power of making mindful connections. I'm your host, Michelle Jones, and today I'm joined by Mandy Atticatis. And you can tell me, Mandy, because I'm pretty sure I did not say that properly. But Mandy has become a friend of mine, which makes me laugh even more that I don't know how to say her last name properly. But we're going to like clarify that in just a minute. But we have been working alongside one another in the field of trauma recovery. So Mandy, before we get into your journey to this point, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the work that you do today. And of course, the million dollar question, how do we pronounce your last name? (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited about being here. So my last name is pronounced Educatus. So it's close. It's kind of like Educatus as a kind of a breakdown. So just to kind of give you a rundown about myself, I'm from a pretty large town just outside of London called Slough. If you've ever seen The Office, I don't know if you've seen The Office for Steve Carell. Yes. Well, it's a spinoff from the original office in England, and it was filmed five minutes from my house. So Slough is the equivalent to Scranton. I love that. Yes. I love it when there's a claim to fame to the area that that you grew up in. So I grew up in Burbank, which is an area where they filmed a lot of television shows. Oh, yeah. Like I I never got to attend a filming, but nonetheless, it feels kind of important. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Slough, I'm not so sure I would say is I would classify as, you know, feeling important, but, you know, it's where I grew up. Anyway, so when I was about 17 or 18, after I finished high school, I decided that I wanted to go on to bigger and better things and decided to move here to the States. I was offered a nanny job uh, alongside my sister who was working around the corner. So we were nannies for about six months and I met my husband the last four weeks that I was here. And a quick story about that. I actually met him at church. I saw him in the foyer where everyone was crowded in. And I said to my friend, see that guy over there? I don't know who he is, but I'm actually going to marry him. What? And she said, what are you talking about? You haven't even met him. I said, I heard this voice that said you're going to marry him. And I thought, that's crazy. So I introduced myself and uh, we went out on a date and we fell in love within the week. I know that sounds silly, but there is such a thing as love at first sight. Um, we fell in love and then I moved back to England and he moved to Brazil. Oh, wow. And then two years later, no phone calls, nothing. Two years later, we mo- moved back to the same place and we got married. Now we have been married for just over 30 years and we have five children, four girls, one boy. And uh, one of them, unfortunately, is no longer with us. And I have eight grandchildren. So that's kind of my life in a nutshell. Live here in the valley in, in Gilbert. 
so as to, you know, what I do, I'm a certified trauma integration practitioner. Um, and just a little bit about trauma. So trauma is, as you know, shock to our body and spirit. And at the moment that we experience trauma, our brain goes into survival mode and panic, which we've all felt absolutely many times in our life. Whether we recognize that as being a moment of trauma or not, it is. So the shock that creates a separation within us and it kind of creates these adaptations or the way we adapt to trauma. And that's, that's pretty big. So that's, you know, we'll be touching more on that at some point this morning because there's people that don't realize that they have suffered trauma until they realize that there's adaptations that they are experiencing and they go, oh, okay, then yeah, I guess I have experienced trauma. Right? Yes. A hundred percent. Okay. I'm reminded I'm going to be going a little bit out of order because I feel like this connects in really well here. So if you're okay with this, okay, because you just mentioned that sometimes people can experience trauma and not even really realize it in the moment until they are recognizing other things showing up in their lives, which it which like at first I think would be kind of hard for someone to understand. But I remember that you have had such an experience. Would you be willing to share that experience with us today? Are you talking about the one at the gym? Yes. <laughs> My husband's going to kill me. But okay. <laughs> I was a personal trainer for many years. Loved working out. I loved helping to change people's bodies and helping to change their minds through changing their bodies. So... I joined this gym and I was getting in amazing shape. And so a local uh, news station, I'm not going to mention who it is, but they asked if I could do a fitness segment with amazing. another gentleman. And so that morning I was rushing around and I'm trying to get everything done. I'm trying to, you know, find some workout shorts. And I wasn't very organized. And so I couldn't find anything cute or clean. And then I remembered that I had a pair in the closet. So I grabbed those shorts, <laughs> ran to the gym, and didn't have much time to think about what I was wearing or anything because I was running late. So the exercise for the, de- for the day was we were working on our glutes, our bums, right? Strengthening our bum muscles. So the exercise was to get on all fours. And we were lifting our leg up to the ceiling and then lifting it, <laughs> lifting it up to the side. Okay. I've got a visual. Yes. I'm ready. So doesn't seem to be a big deal, right? This is just. Well, this sounds like a big deal for me because that's not something that I would feel confident, but, but like you're a personal trainer, so you've prepared for this moment and you're confident in your ability to teach this kind of movement. So tell me, right. Tell me more. So, you know, the countdown was on and, and we started doing this lift and the camera's coming, you know, from the side and then it moves around to the back just so it could focus on my bum. And then the cameraman quickly pans over to the side again. And he does this thing with his finger, like cutting across his neck, like cut, cut, we're done. We can't, we can't continue. And I'm like, what is going on? So the cameraman comes up to me and says, you might want to go to the bathroom. I was like, what is going on? Well, instead of throwing these workout shorts away, because I loved them so much, I thought I'm so, I'm going to wear these things out. I cut the triangle out of the crutch of these workout (laughs) workout shorts. (laughs) And I wasn't wearing anything underneath, unfortunately. 
So I was so mortified that I turned around, I walked out of the gym and I never went back. What? Yes. I never went back. And it took me my adaptation or the way I adapted to that trauma, even though I didn't realize it was a trauma at the time. It took me a while to go back to the gym. Obviously never went back to that one. But yeah, it took me a while. And even now I still check the crotch on my workout shorts before I work out. I would imagine that that's something that leaves quite an impression on your experience. And everyone else's, yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So how did you recognize that there was something in there that was trauma? Is that something that you worked through or just that you recognized that you were making some changes and adaptations because that had happened to you? Well, I think that I recognized at the time, obviously, that that was a moment of shock and that I was not about to relive that, even if I, obviously, that was never going to happen again, but I wasn't about to go back. So I I knew, I knew that that was a moment of shock. I just didn't know how to deal with it at the time. Besides avoiding. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that experience is so common for so many of us, not necessarily the filming (laughs) portion of it, but, Mm -hmm. but for us to experience something that's kind of mortifying in some way, whatever that may be. And then to realize, okay, actually I am just going to avoid putting myself in that situation ever again. I don't know if you've had this experience or not, but it's interesting because for me, like, I don't know if I'm just a special case, but I feel like I've had like a disproportionate amount of mortifying experiences. Oh, absolutely. And so over time, you sort of start to like make your world a little smaller and smaller if your main coping strategy <laughs> is just to avoid anything that could put you in that situation again, right? Yes. And I have many situations that, you know, hopefully we'll have time to share a couple of those where a typical adaptation is avoidance. Like we avoid whatever it is that has caused us this pain. And we will go out of our way to avoid something that causes us embarrassment or pain. Absolutely. So I have many stories, many stories that that are very relatable. And anyone who knows me will probably be laughing at this statement. So yes. Okay. Well, does one in particular come to mind of something where either because you wanted to avoid something or another way that you were adapting to something that had shown up for you? Yeah. So one of my big traumas was as a teenager and we grew up with not much money. And so my mom bought us whatever clothes that she could afford, whatever shoes she could afford. And this one pair of shoes that she gave me, bright green, and they were a size too big. And they were just, they were pretty, pretty ugly. But I went into my um, chemistry class and this one teacher was well known for picking on people. And she pulled me out of, of the classmates going in and she had me stand in front of the class until everyone had walked in. And she's standing there with her lab coat on. And she said, everyone, I want you to look at Mandy's shoes. What? And how ugly her shoes are. Her mom obviously can't afford to, <gasps> to buy her shoes that fit. And I was absolutely mortified, as you can imagine. That's horrifying. It's horrifying. And so during class, she would always pick on me and ask me questions that weren't realistic. And I wouldn't know. And she would just point her her big stick at me and sometimes whack me on the knuckles if I got the question wrong. 
So I had major trauma from that. So fast forward to college days. Okay. My adaptation was to be able to find classes that were large. So there was no chance, right, that I was going to be picked on to do anything that was going to put me center of attention and that I wasn't going to be good enough. So I, I was studying psychology at the time. This is a psychology class. So I had been absent and I'd asked somebody what the assignment was for the next day. And it was, oh, we just need to write a paper on whatever it was. I think it was um, personality disorders, which was very fitting for this day. Mm. And so, um, but I'd got the wrong information and I had written a paper that was completely different. So I thought the teacher said, okay, we're going to have people read out loud. Oh, no. Papers. So I'm just going to go around. So I put my head down on the desk, going, reverting back to being a teenager, like in school. And I pretended like I was asleep because I, that's how severe my, my trauma was. So of course the first person he picks, Mandy, come up and read your paper. No. So I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to pretend like I'm still asleep. So then he comes up to me and he says, Mandy, can you please stand up and read your paper? Well, this bright idea that I had was I stood up and I said, who are you calling Mandy? (gasps) <gasps> and he said, this was the first, this is how, this was my adaptation. Don't ask me why I thought this was a brilliant idea. And he said, what do you mean? That's your name. Nope, my name's Pat. And I'm thinking inside, like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, okay, Pat. And then meanwhile, he's telling someone, go ahead and call 911. Because he thinks something he is thinks very that wrong. I'm, yes. yes. And so, of course, I start freaking out and I said, oh, I'm just going to leave. I don't, I don't, I don't need to be in, in wherever I, I am. Well, little did I know that they called the, um, the hospital uh, in, Provo, in Provo, where I was at the time, the mental hospital. And I had these, these men show up. And so I went into an empty classroom right next to it. And I'm like facing the window thinking, how am I going to get out of this? Like, this is a severe, this is pretty bad. Yes. And so they came in and they said, okay, Pat, if, can we talk to Mandy? We need to talk. To oh, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> oh gosh. We need to talk to Mandy because if we, if we can't get a hold of Mandy, then we're going to have to take Pat to hospital. And so, and, I, and then I kind of just flutter my eyes and I hold my head and I say, oh, oh, what's, what's going on? Like, well, why are you all here? I'm so embarrassed to even admit that story, but that's a pretty severe adaptation, that right? Is, that is a pretty oh significant avoidance that you that I mean that's a lot of on the spot thinking too I'm actually very impressed (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh anyway so it took me many years to be able to work through that trauma but now I'm good now I've worked through that through the steps of working through trauma and I'm good thank goodness Oh my goodness. Okay. So before we talk about those steps, we've been talking right now about some kind of common or maybe maybe not every day because I feel like that experience with your high school teacher is almost hard to fathom. Someone mm-hmm. just humiliating a student in that way. It's just hard to picture even though I know that that was your experience. But um, you've experienced... Mandy, one of the greatest losses that I can imagine. So will you share with our listeners about Lauren? Yes, I'd love to. And this is actually one thing that 
I love, I, I think it's so important for us to be vulnerable when it comes to our trauma. I know trauma is really difficult to talk about, but there's something empowering that happens to us when we talk about our trauma. Yes, it's difficult. So I want to uh, tell you about my cute five-year-old daughter, Lauren. So several years back, this was in the January that she passed away. So she came downstairs with her older sister, Kylie. Kylie had said, Lauren, tell mom about the dream that you had last night. And I was making pancakes. And Lauren said, mommy, look at me. So I turned around and she said, I had a dream last night that you went running out of the house and into the street and you're looking for me everywhere. And there's cars driving, driving past really fast and you're looking and you're looking and you can't find me. And then the cars stop and then you see me on the road and I've got blood around my head and then you walk over and you start screaming and you're looking at me and you're throwing your arms up in the air and you're screaming, no, no. And I turned, I turned and looked at her and I said, that's a weird dream. Like, why, why would you have a dream like that? That's, it's just a bad dream. Don't, don't worry about it. Absolutely. And she said, no, mommy, Jesus came to me and he told me that I'm going to die. Of course, I looked at her and I said, that's even crazier. No, no, that didn't happen. You're not going to die. She said, no, I am. But he, he told me to tell you to not be sad. Don't be sad. It's going to be okay. So then I, I pulled my plate off of the, or the pan off the stove. And I kneeled down in front of her and I said, well, when is this going to be? And she was almost, well, she was five and a half. She was going to be six in, in August. And she said, um, he said, I'll never be eight years old. I'll never be old enough to be eight. So that almost put a time limit on it. And so when I hugged her, at that moment that I hugged her, I had that confirmation. Yes, wow. this is going to happen. So even though it doesn't seem like that would be a moment of shock because I had that peace that went along with it, trust me, that was, that was oh, shock. Yes. So I followed her everywhere. I followed her to school. I, if I wasn't volunteering in her class, I was sitting outside. I followed her to friends' houses. I can never let her out of my sight because it was like, I'm just waiting. And so... And is there a part of you at that time, like, even though you had felt that comfort and that confirmation, I would imagine as a mother, I'd be like, well, but maybe I can prevent this from happening. Absolutely. And that's, that's why I followed her everywhere. That's why I didn't let her out of my sight. And a neighbor even made the comment of, she must be one of your favorites. And I laughed and I said, no, but I, I don't want to share. Obviously, I did tell a couple of people um, right after she told me. So the day of the accident, that um, her dream was in January. And then June 17th, I take my kids to um, the water park and we laid out our towels and I laid back on my towel, which is something that I would never do with kids, with Running my kids around, right. by the pool. But I laid down and I could see myself standing at this pulpit and I was wearing a pink dress and I was speaking at a funeral. There was a little cute pink casket right in front of me. And I remember thinking, 
ah, shoot, I'm going to have to speak at her funeral. Okay, I'm going to tell the story about this and about how much faith she had. And just, I was thinking about all these experiences. It didn't seem weird to me at the time. And then it ended and I sat up and I just thought that was, that was really weird. So a few hours later, my husband and I were going to be going out on a date and I was getting ready and we always, our babysitter lived across the road okay. and it was a, it was a fairly busy road and we lived right opposite a baseball field. And so I would always cross the kids over, my oldest daughter, Kylie and Lauren, I would cross them over, walk them over to the babysitter's house and they liked me to go back over and watch from the window and then the mum and the babysitter and my girls would walk back across together. So I was sitting by the window and I was just waiting for them and I was just just thinking, contemplating. And then I saw the babysitter's mum and my girls walking out and I guess the baby, her, her daughter wasn't ready yet. So I went and I grabbed the, the handle of the front door to open it and as I touched the handle, I had this, I heard this voice that just said, run. So I ran into the back of the house, into my bedroom. And I remember just standing there, like I had no recollection of what I was doing. Like it had been completely taken from me. Meanwhile, the babysitter's mama walked my girls to the sidewalk. And she said that she, she looked both ways. And then she had this thought that her house was on fire. So she completely freaked out. She told my girls, do not cross the street, just move back. And she ran into her house, opened the front door, expecting to find something, nothing. So in that moment, the both of us were in opposite ends of our home. My kids decided that maybe they could make it across the street. And so they crossed. And one thing that is interesting is my daughter, my older daughter said that as they crossed the street holding hands, she said everything kind of went in slow motion. And she remembers Lauren looking at her saying, it's okay. It's okay. You go ahead. And she said in that moment, it was like she gave her permission, like she knew. So they let, they let go hands and Kylie ran forward. And then a motorcycle with two men on it just came out from nowhere. They didn't even see, didn't even see him. And he just hit Lauren head on. So my daughter Kylie had come into the house and she had run back and she said, mom, Lauren's been hit. And she couldn't even walk. She was just, her legs had just buckled from the shock. Absolutely. And so I ran out into the street and first of all, I couldn't see her just like Lauren had said. And then the car stopped. And that's when I saw Lauren. And this is so the interesting thing about, about trauma is sometimes it's multifaceted. There's many, there's traumas within traumas, right? So Lauren, uh, Kylie coming in, you know, that was, that was one trauma within the trauma. And then looking at Lauren, so she had been he hit head on. So it had knocked her eye out mm. onto her cheek and her, she was just a pretzel. She was completely twisted. And so in, in that moment of shock, I remember thinking, I can't pick her up. What kind of mother am I that I can't do CPR on my child? I couldn't. I, I just looked at her and I was so completely freaked out. And then I saw a woman coming out from the park and she was, 
she wasn't um, dressed for, um, how can I say it? She wasn't dressed for that day. And she walked up to me and she put her arm on my shoulder and she says, I've been sent to do something that you feel like you can't do. And I saw her pick Lauren up and hold her and sit on the sidewalk and rock her. So it took me years of thinking, what a bad mom I, I am. What a bad mom that I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold my daughter. I beat myself up about it for years. Then as I went through my trauma and I was telling the story and we, re we repeated the story over and over again to see if we can catch things that I hadn't noticed before. And so this one day I, I was saying, I'm sitting, looking up at the fireman and he's saying, mom, if you don't let us work on your daughter, we're going to have to take her away from you. And I'd heard this so many times but my brain wasn't ready to accept that. To understand. To understand. What that meant. And all of a sudden it was like fast forward and rewind all at the same time. And I remembered sitting there, holding her in my arms, screaming and rocking her. And the other thing that I remembered that I had no idea is as I was putting myself back in that place, I clearly saw my daughter, Lauren, standing in front of me and she was wearing a white dress and she was completely whole and beautiful and she was standing next to the Savior. And he was holding her hand and I knew. I knew that he had her. I knew that she was okay. And at that moment, I was able to notice the lady sitting next to me and she had her arm around me. And I knew that that was, that this woman wasn't someone that lived here. I, I knew that she was sent to do what I felt that I couldn't do, but she was still, she still sat there with me the whole time with her arm around me and knowing now, I wish, I wish I knew back then what I know now about trauma. I wish that I had the opportunity to be able to do this work back then because maybe I wouldn't have gone through all of those years of feeling like a failure as a mother. And that's pretty harsh. Being a mom, that's really hard to swallow. So how would you say the, it has changed for you then? So how many years was it after Lauren's accident before you began connecting with this work to connect to your trauma and to find these connections, to find this relief, to really like make these understandings? It was actually 20 years. Wow. So that was, that was a long time. I, I tried to heal through forgiveness. So the man that hit uh, Lauren had been in and out of prison for drug abuse, um, selling drugs, um, you name it, he'd been on it. He'd taken it. He was an alcoholic. So when he was pulled over, his first instinct was, I'm going to be locked up. I'm going back. And he was the one that actually did CPR on Lauren. So, um, and this part I still don't remember, but um, he said that I pulled him from the, by his ponytail. So he was in this biker, this biker gear group, okay. gang, whatever okay. you want to call it. 
um, very rough. Um, but he just said, I, I pulled him by the ponytail and pulled him down the street to get him off of, of Lauren. I still don't remember that. But one thing that I thought was important was I kind of came to, we kind of came to a crossroads. We can either find someone to blame, which is very common in loss, when we experience loss. We can either blame and find someone to kind of take over that pain mm-hmm. that we're experiencing or we can forgive. So we got a hold of Monty. Monty is his name. And I just want to tell you that I love this man with all of my heart. I prayed to God that he would allow me to see him the way he sees him. And in doing that, I was able to, or both of us, my husband and I were both able to invite him to the funeral and to be able to find peace within ourselves and give him the peace so a quick side note to this so he he was um he wanted to be a harley mechanic and he said that after lauren died she came to him and said you need to go to school and you need to become a counselor for drug abuse i said no i'm gonna i'm gonna be a harley mechanic you know so she she said no you absolutely need to do this So he did, which blew my mind. He got his bachelor's degree. And then she came to him again and said, you're not done. You need to get your master's in order to be able to do this work. So he actually went back to school. It still blows my mind. And he got his master's degree. And now he is a drug and alcohol counselor. That's amazing. You know, good things can happen through hard situations. Absolutely. I'm kind of reminded as you're sharing that, how sometimes when we are in these moments, we are able to see like only our little piece of the puzzle of what's happening. And it's larger than life. Like, like that piece of the puzzle is all we can see in that moment. And in that shock, it's all we can take in. That That's all that life is in that moment, is that shock in that moment. And yet, Absolutely. as we like step through this, this process of healing, and we're able to like move into that, all of a sudden, it's like we can take a step back and see more of the pieces at play and what is happening and even how we fit within these puzzle pieces that we're noticing. I don't know if that resonates for you, but that just came to my mind as we were talking. Absolutely. No, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, I mean, everyone's trauma is different. I'm not saying that we have to forgive in order to be able to heal. Maybe over time, um, depending on what the trauma is. I mean, every, everyone's different. Everyone's capability of dealing with trauma or, or facing that aspect of it. I mean, it's, it's, the spectrum is so big. Like, I, I know your trauma, um, it breaks my heart. I, I sometimes don't know how I would be able to forgive. So my, my trauma is different than your trauma. And it's the same with all of us. It's easy to say, I can't believe that that person thinks that that is trauma. Mm. Because it's so individualized. It's so, we can't, that's why it's so important to not judge anyone. My mom always taught me that from a little kid. Never judge because we don't know the journey that somebody has been on. Absolutely. In fact, I I feel like this connects. I remember, so my sister and brother-in-law lost an infant. And I, I remember them telling me as they were driving to 
the funeral home to like make choices and kind of finalize things as they were driving. Um, and as you can imagine, and I don't know if this was your experience or not, but they were, you know, still in a daze really that that was what they were doing in that moment. Like that's so surreal to be on that journey. And so maybe they hadn't pulled all the way into the center lane to make their left turn or whatever into the parking lot. And people started to honk at them and were just like kind of road raging at the situation. And that like was its own moment of shock to them. Like we are in the middle of trying to navigate the impossible. Absolutely. And and if the people that were driving down that road had any comprehension of what they were experiencing, they never would have responded in that way. And that's such a tiny example, but I think about it often how in the midst of all of the other pain that week that that still stood out and made an impression to them yes. on, on how harsh that was to experience in the middle of everything else. For sure. Yeah. That's why we, we just don't, we don't know someone else's journey. So if somebody in the store is grouchy, we don't know. Maybe they've just lost someone or maybe something horrific has just happened in their life and this is how they're coping. Yeah, you just never know. Yeah. So, Mandy, like as I've listened to this story, which I actually kind of love that the first time I've heard this whole story is right now. Even though we've had many conversations and we've been friends, I love that, that that this has all been fresh for me. Mm -hmm. So it's really obvious to me that spirituality played a huge part in your journey through this trauma. I have a question. What would you say to those who may listen to your experience and say that they don't have those same spiritual connections? Have you seen in the work that you do with trauma, have you seen some kind of spiritual connection be helpful for people, even if they don't have like a faith community or a strong faith tradition? Yes. So when I meet with a client, I always ask them, what are your beliefs? It can be God. And if they don't have a spiritual connection with or a belief in God, it can be, you know, Buddha, Vishnu, it could be Muhammad, it doesn't matter. Or I've seen, I've had a lot of people come to me that just believe in light Mm -hmm. or the universe or Mother Earth. It doesn't matter. It's all about connecting with a, a higher power, with light, with love, to be able to surround us as we go back in time and try to heal those um, that moment of shock or that trauma. Being able to step into the light is huge. So it doesn't necessarily, you don't necessarily have to have a belief in God per se whatever that light looks like to you. It's whatever is going to help you or be beneficial to helping you experience some hope through that trauma. So I have this thought that I wonder if part of that connection for us, you know, we've talked about in this podcast is called Mind Well, right? So we're talking Mm -hmm. about these mindful connections that we're making and how critical that is for our healing from all of these different things that come up in our life. Some are catastrophic. Some are, you know, may pass us by without us fully realizing how much they have had an effect on us. But ultimately, we have to make this connection. We have to be willing to fully connect to what what our body is communicating, to what our thoughts and emotions are, to like really make that connection. So I just had this thought that I wonder if being able to connect on any level to whatever 
um, light or spiritual belief that someone may have that they lean into, if that kind of facilitates them being able to connect to their own center and their own sense of self. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think that, um, I mean, I've seen this, I guess, um, recently with a client and, um, you know, but kind of working through that trauma, you know, they, they came to the point where they said, okay, I said, imagine yourself being bathed in the light or this higher power. It was really interesting because she said, oh, there's actually a man standing there. And I said, who is it? And she said, I don't know. He's just wearing, I don't believe in God. So how can it be, how can it be a God? But he's telling me that that's who he is. And she says, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. She said, but I can't deny what I see. And it's, it was, you know, I'm always surprised by, by people's reactions or what they experience when we're going through the process of trauma or or releasing that trauma. Do you feel like the experience of working through trauma, like in, in your experience, if someone was listening and they were like, I don't know, I'm not like a spiritual person, mm-hmm. can, can this process of working through trauma be effective for them, even if that spiritual thread ha- isn't pulling through for them? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It can even be somebody that you feel comfortable with. If it's, if it's your mom or your best friend that is able to be there as a person that is um, that can help you as, um, let's just say, little Michelle. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you didn't have any spiritual beliefs, so what? It doesn't change the fact that we can work through that trauma. You just need to have that one person that you trust implicitly, completely, that can help you, that will stand there next to you and say, you know, take my hand, let's go. Let's go, let's go get ice cream. You don't have to be here anymore. Absolutely. So it's a matter of connecting with anyone or anything. It doesn't make any difference. You do not have to believe in a God in order to be able to release trauma. Absolutely not. I I, I was thinking about this term called resourcing. And it's something that I was taught where we connect people as they're about to step in, because this this work of connecting to trauma is so vulnerable, right? It is some of the most brave and courageous things I've witnessed in my life is watching people step into this work to, sure. to be willing to connect to these things, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that that you're speaking of is really connecting people to like a resource that they can then like pull into these moments as they are kind of reframing and building and doing some of these things, they can pull in these figures that are protective or nurturing by nature, right? Yeah. And so I was thinking about how, for me, that took a couple different forms. So one, I learned that me as the woman that I am today is pretty fantastic, actually. Yes, Pretty protective, pretty nurturing, and Mm -hmm. that I am actually an amazing resource for my younger self as I go back to these moments. But a really interesting one that is like so random. One time when I was doing this work, another kind of figure came to my mind to connect with me and it was a polar bear, which sounds like, I mean, but they're beautiful and they're massive. And boy, when I could imagine like a polar bear being in that space with me, 
like so protected and strong and so strong. strong and fierce. And I think of how they are with their cubs and mm-hmm. that protective nurturingness that is there. And that was like it like it sounds silly. And yet there were many moments where I brought that polar bear with me into the scene and had them sit at the door to be my protector as Aww. I face some of these experiences. And it was really cool. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Doesn't it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what what or who. As long as we can get you through your trauma. Okay. Mandy, one of the things, I mean, there's so many things that I love about you. Number one, I love your accent because it's just fantastic. But one of the things that I love about you is how you freely share what has gotten you through your lived experiences. I've noticed that thread in you, whether it is, let me share with you this amazing restaurant that we went to, or let me share with you this significant trauma experience and how I came through it, right? Just that whole spectrum. So tell me about some of the work that you have done with other people who have been through some experiences like you have. So um, several years back, um, my husband and I moved to Las Vegas. And I remember getting online and reading with um, some of, on some of the groups how people had lost a child and they were pouring out their heart and nobody was responding. And I'm thinking, and I was spending hours answering these people and thinking, this is, this is crazy. These people are really hurting and there's no support. Mm. So I decided to um, get a hold of a group called the Compassionate Friends. And I asked if there was a group in Las Vegas and there wasn't. So I was asked to start this group for um, parents, grandparents, and siblings, and it's specific to child loss. Okay. So um, I started this group, and I did it for about, I don't know, for a couple of years. And I made home visits. So when um, people found out about the group, I would go over to their home and try and offer some comfort when things were complete, when there was complete chaos around them. And I had some of the most amazing experiences doing that. And even though I was still in my grief, because you don't simply just get over the loss of a child. Absolutely. You just don't. So there were times that I was called to funeral homes and um, I had to go dress a little two-year-old that had drowned when the parents couldn't do it. And I was, I was still grieving. That was a trigger for me. I can only imagine. But I just, I don't know. I just felt this higher power, this connection um, that allowed me to be able to do these hard things that I normally would not have been able to do. There's just no way. So this group, the Compassionate Friends, After a couple of years, we moved um, to Utah and I found that there wasn't as big of a need in Utah for for this. I tried, but there just just wasn't as big of a need. So coming back here to Arizona, there was a group up and running by two amazing ladies, Debbie and Denise, and they ran the Mesa chapter. Okay. So I helped facilitate the break-off groups. So we divide and, and I help facilitate the smaller groups and I'm still able to do the home visits to go visit these, these families and, and try and bring some, 
some peace and hope. And I think one of the biggest things that that I want to um, express is hope, is being able to have hope. We, we, I don't want to have people think that their trauma defines them. It refines them. And even though we go through what we feel is hell, all of us in our own way, right? We all go through, we all go through our traumas and, but I'm not Mandy who lost Lauren. You know, how are you doing? Oh, hi, my name's Mandy. I lost a daughter. Right. That would be someone that I'm defined by loss and I'm living my, my life because I lost a child. Right. So what I tell people in the group and what I tell everyone who suffered trauma, there is hope. You have to have hope. You have to have hope that you can get through this and you can move on to, you know, brighter days, to bigger things. We'll always have that trauma as part of us. But once we connect with it and once we work through it, we can, we can move forward in such a positive way. I feel like we need this core belief to become like contagious, like a pandemic of belief in ourselves that we are resilient. Absolutely. Because I think resiliency and hope are completely connected. And like, I can see how that can feel like, like it's so simple to say we need to have some hope, but in that moment of catastrophic loss, that feels impossible right? Totally. And, but part of it is, I think, recognizing what we're made of. Because if, if, if fundamentally we believe that the things that we experience break us in an irreparable way, Mm -hmm. then I think that would be very difficult to, like, hope would not be very meaningful there. Right. Because we already believe that, like, kind of everything that we experience breaks away part of us or crushes part of us. And now we just kind of limp through the rest of life, right? Right. Kind of hobbling along, making Mm -hmm. our best. But if we can kind of shift, I have found this to be so powerful for people. If we can shift and recognize that actually our experiences yes, they are catastrophic and tragic and there's grief and all of those things are real and valid, but also it's and, and we are capable and resilient and full of light. And we have the capacity to move forward through the unimaginable and come to a place where we can function and see hope and have light in our life, that that is possible. I think that that is just this really beautiful thread that I'm hearing you say, but also that I have seen with so many different kinds of trauma for people. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I remember shortly after losing Lauren, I remember thinking, if I can change my story, not change the trauma, I understand the trauma. I understand what I've gone through, but I can change my story. I don't have to to feel this unimaginable pain for my whole life. I can change my story, change my story, change my life. And we're all capable. We are all capable of changing our story, not changing our grief, not changing our trauma. We can work through our trauma, but we can change the outcome of who we are. 
Mm. We don't have to let that trauma define us. Well, and I think sometimes maybe we kind of feel like we've passed an expiration date, right? Like, well, it's been, and for you, 20 years. For me, it had been well over two decades. Yeah. And and so there comes a point where maybe part of my belief was, well, this is just who I am. Right. right? Yeah. And so I think maybe we think, well, that was so long ago. And obviously this is still what I'm carrying. So I guess this is just what it is and I'm going to make the best of it. Right. And so I think it's really like, I, I just love this idea of thinking there's not an expiration date on when we can connect, when we can change our story. Exactly. Like at any point we can make a pivot and we can step forward into understanding who we really are a little bit better and what we're really made of and what we're really capable of. Yes. Well, look at me. It took me 20 years and, and, you know, same with you, you know, we, we, we struggled with that pain, but yeah, there is, it doesn't matter what, what phase of your life you're in, how long it's been since you've experienced that trauma. It's okay. Yep. We can still work through it. And once you work through it, it's just like this aha moment of, okay, okay, I can do this. I can do this. There is a pathway to peace here. One of the most common phrases I hear people say is relief. Yes. There's a relief as if I didn't realize I was carrying something really heavy around. Right. And now I recognize it because I don't feel it anymore. Yes. There's just an absence of that like weight. Yeah. And I I know it sounds kind of hard to believe that you can release trauma that simply after, after living with it for so long, but during the process, you'll find out that it is possible. It is possible. And you can feel peace. You can feel joy again in your life because we're living proof of that. Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. The two of us sitting at this table, we are living proof that regardless of what circumstances you may have been placed in, that does not write the end of your story. Exactly. It's just the beginning. Oh, I love that. One one of the things that I remember that we kind of touched on at the beginning that I just want to circle back around to is you mentioned we, we, we kind of touched on adaptations in the beginning. And one of the things that you mentioned was avoidance, right? Avoiding the gym, avoiding the small classroom, (laughs) avoiding reading this, reading the paper, but other ways that people adapt as well that are really common. Um, Even just having significant anxiety is an adaptation to having traumatic experiences. And I know that you shared with me a couple of kind of practical, useful things that people, um, that that you've been able to learn and to share with people. And I'd love for you to introduce our listeners to a couple of those. Yeah. So um, one thing that I found is really helpful for anxiety. I have one of my children that suffers with anxiety and she just graduated nursing school. And so I introduced her to this thing called tapping and that's emotional freedom technique or EFT. And so what that is, it's basically a Chinese uh, practice of acupuncture, and it uh, teaches that the body's energy travels along specific pathways, okay? Okay? So that certain points on these pathways um, are stimulated to improve the flow of energy. So it's done by tapping. You can can, um, do it with or without words. And I'm actually going to um, put a link on my website to show you how it's done. So there's there's certain meridians that we have on the top of our head, on our hand, on our face, and tapping 
So you could, let's just say you're tapping and you're, you're saying, um, I'm so anxious right now. I'm so anxious right now. I feel really, really anxious. And then you move through the different meridians saying, oh, I, I feel like I can't handle my life right now. I'm feeling so anxious. So once you've gone through all of these different meridians, then you go through again, but with the upside or the positive. Maybe I'm not so anxious. Maybe life isn't so bad. Maybe I can cope. Maybe things aren't so bad. And by the time you've worked through all the meridians tapping with the positive, when you're done, you take a deep breath and the difference is pretty significant. So when after Lauren died, Kylie, my oldest that was there with her at the time, couldn't sleep. Like she, you can imagine, she just felt that guilt. So we sent her to a psychologist and he introduced her to, to tapping a long time ago. And she would tap on her hands. And after she tapped, she was able to fall asleep immediately, which wow. was so shocking because she did not sleep. She was always in with us. And it was just, it was hard trying to deal with my trauma as well as the trauma of an eight-year-old child. Absolutely. At that same moment. And I love that that's something that it's really empowering, actually, because that's something that someone could do for themselves. Exactly. There's a there's a thought that came to me as you were sharing that, which is that all of our emotions, so like you mentioned anxiety, but all of our emotions are really like energy. And sometimes that energy is just trapped. And there's mm-hmm. so many ways that we can move it through our body. And I love this idea of tapping and really also, and you there's like two pieces to it, right? There's like the physicality of it, but also the words shifting. Exactly. Because you're going from telling yourself how you're feeling, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, to switching it to maybe I'm not so anxious. So you're shifting that energy as it flows through your body and through these different meridians, just like you would acupuncture. If anyone that has ever had acupuncture, it's amazing. It actually works. And the other thing that has really helped me over the years is um, positive affirmations. Okay. So I don't know if you've heard of the book, You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. Okay. You've told me about this before, Okay, but I have not even connected with it yet. So everyone should have this book. Everyone needs to get this book. It's by Louise Hay. And she talks about kind of we are what we tell ourselves, right? And it kind of goes back to being able to change our story. So when I have, when I see clients, I always give them homework and I always give them affirmations, whether they like it or not. <laughs> Some of them say it's really hard for them to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some of them say it's really hard for them to do. But when we tell ourselves, when we look at ourselves in the mirror and we'll be, we're able to connect and say, and these are some of the affirmations that I, that I give to, to clients. And this, this is the number one that I think that makes, has the most impact is I am enough. Absolutely. I am enough because we all have insecurities. We're human. And so being able to look at yourself and say, I love and approve of myself. I love and approve of myself. And that can be hard, especially if we have gone through trauma that, um, where we've experienced shame. And when, when we experience shame, we don't feel like we're worthy to stand there and say, you are enough. You know, I love and approve of myself. That's really hard to do. That's like the opposite of what you feel. Exactly. When you're sitting in a place of shame. Exactly. 
shame goes along with so many uh, points of trauma. It's not just, even in child loss, there's shame, there is guilt. Guilt is a huge, guilt is huge, period, right? Mm -hmm. And when we experience that guilt, we don't feel like we can let go. I know it took me years to let go of that guilt. So being able to say some of these affirmations, and again, this is something I will put on my website. I am enough. I love and approve of myself. I am loved. I am surrounded by love. All is well. I forgive myself and set myself free. I handle my own life with joy and ease. And then the last one, I am surrounded by love. So these, these affirmations that we, if we tell ourselves, I, I used to put them on little sticky notes and put, the, put in my car, on my bathroom mirror. It used to drive my husband crazy because I'd have like these notes everywhere. Right. So why do you have to keep telling yourself, you know, just, you know, you love yourself. I do know I love myself, but hearing it, sometimes we doubt. We doubt ourselves when we go through hard things, especially, you know, I am enough. That one to me is big to know that it doesn't matter what we've gone through in our life, how hard it is, how, how much pain we are in, if we feel like we have failed, if our self-esteem is low, we are absolutely enough. Yes. I love how this thread is connecting us right back to whatever our experience is does not define the end of our story. And I feel like these affirmations are part of how people come to understand that more fully in addition to doing that trauma work. Yes, absolutely. Mandy, thank you so much for coming today. I have loved our conversation so much. Will you tell our listeners how they can find you? So you can find me on my website, apathwaytopeace.com. I also have an Instagram, apathwaytopeaceaz. I'm having some glitches with that right now, but that's going to be up and running. You can email me. That's going to, my email is going to be on my um, website or, and also my phone number. And you can make an appointment if you'd like to come in and see me to work through your trauma. I would love to be able to work with you and you can set an appointment also on my website. And do you only work with people who are here in Arizona? No, actually I work with people all over the country. I even work with some people overseas, but that can be done virtually. We can do it Zoom, FaceTime, just whatever works, but it's, it's still, the process still works the same. I love that. Thank you again. Of course. Thanks again, listeners. Until next time on MindWell, this is your host, Michelle Jones, signing off for this week. Thank you for listening to another episode of MindWell. We are sponsored by Trauma Integration, LLC a company passionate about helping people understand their trauma response and find wholeness within. You can find out more at www.integratetrauma.com.